Wow, that was an incredible worship. <laughs> um, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there again. Okay, thank you. Um, so today I want to tell you a story, seems to be echoing a little bit, um, of a girl and her incredibly amazing father. Now this story actually begins before this, this girl was born while she was being knit together, fearfully and wonderfully created in her mother's womb. Her family lived in Scapaduce, Oregon. And then on July 4th, bam, it happened. She was born. Okay, so maybe there weren't a lot of fireworks, even though it was July 4th, right? But it's been fun having my birthday when the whole country celebrates. So... <laughs> um, so she was actually born in St. Helens because uh, Scapdoose didn't have a hospital. So 18 months later, the family would be in Montana. They often followed her daddy's job around the country. He was an iron worker at that time. And they would just move place to place. But home base was Montana, Columbia Falls, Montana. Um, both of her parents were from there. Um, Mama grew up in Columbia Falls and Daddy in Kalispell. Um, so she's 18 months old, and she finds herself in the hospital with pneumonia, very, very sick. Um, and her two-and-a-half-year-old brother was also in the hospital at the same time, and he had spinal meningitis. She almost died in that hospital, but God had bigger plans for her, and he healed her little body. But her brother, Terry, two-and-a-half-year-old, died in that hospital. He never came home to his family. So her life of beginning losing those closest to her began. When she was five, they were living in Wyoming, and her third brother, his name was John, he was born there. Um, and so she became the middle child. So you see a pattern here, youngest, middle child, continues. So in early elementary education, um, elementary school. Her Sunday school would come and pick up her and her older brother. He was, um, it, we, we were like six to, I was six to eight. Anyway, um, come pick her up, pick them up, and bring them to Sunday school on su every Sunday to her auntie's church. Um, her parents didn't go. They didn't send her, though. She wanted to go. She was already developing a love for Jesus. She wanted to go. God kept sending people like the Sunday school teacher to take care of her. Um, now, she couldn't tell you when she accepted Jesus into her heart, but she knew that she loved him and that she believed. And she knew that th there was an amazing father that had created her and that would always be there to care for her. So at age seven, on a family outing to a mountain lake, the nearest town was about an hour and a half away. They were there huckleberry picking for the day. It was a hot July day. Um, huckleberry picking, hanging out the lake, just doing family stuff, right? And the parents and grandparents were off doing the huckleberries, and the kids were playing around the lake. And her older brother and a 16-year-old family friend decided to go around the lake. This wasn't a very big lake around the lake, and bring a raft back across. And so they took off, and she hollered after him, I'm going to tell on you. And so they went around, and they started back across the lake, and her older brother fell off that raft. And the 16-year-old friend, they had, they had a um, long stick that they were rowing with, he was trying to get him, and he couldn't get him. And by the time he did get him, it was too late. So they threw her and her little brother in the back of the camper, and she remembers seeing her older brother through that window, you know, the camper window, through the window, sitting there between two adults, and they headed off to a ranger station to get help. That ranger station was closed that day. There was nobody there to help them. So she lost her older brother that day. He was nine. So that left her and her little brother 
And if you haven't figured it out already, that little girl is me. And I became the oldest. Now, once again, my heavenly father, amazing father, God, took care of me. I don't remember the details. I was too young. But I know that he was already there for me because I had learned. I was learning to love him and serve him in my little childlike way. And he just wrapped his arms around me and cared for me at that time. So if you were here back in February when Tom and Katie came down from Washington and they, we did the conference with them, um, I think it was Love and, what was it called, Doug? You remember? Anyway, we did a conference with them, and there was a lot of healing and restoration and that kind of stuff going on. And Saturday morning, um, we were doing a time where we were just, we would ask Jesus to bring back a memory. And I had done a couple things, and this memory of this day came up. And I'm like, okay, what's this? I don't think there's anything that I need to deal with from that day. And I was struggling. I was sitting right here. And Katie saw me struggling, and she came over, and she's like, can you, she wanted to help me through it. So she did. And in the past, my whole life, looking back on that day, I would see all the commotion of what happened and everything. And Jesus wanted to heal something deep in me that I didn't even know was there. So when I turned to my brother and I said, I'm going to tell on you, that was the last words I ever spoke to my brother. And some of you have heard this testimony, and that's okay. Some of you might need to hear it again. I was mad at myself, and I didn't even know it all these years. That was the last thing I said to my brother. Why couldn't it have been, I love you. Let's go play. Let's do something else. But it wasn't, and I was mad at myself. So that day, back in February, Jesus came in, and he healed that spot in me. And I, I forgave myself for being angry at myself all those years. And he healed my heart of that. So now, when I think of that memory, what comes to mind is I see that little lake, but there's nothing on it except for my heavenly father walking towards me and taking my seven-year-old little hand and walking away peacefully with me. Now, isn't that a beautiful memory? Instead of the, the chaos that the devil wanted me to re remember, the chaos that the devil wanted to throw at me the rest of my life and ruin in me, uh-uh, not happening. Amen. Yes, amen. So has anyone here ever been told, children are to be seen and not heard? Oh, yeah. Still happening? Okay. I thought that was like my generation. <laughs> so that, um, that did something to me. So I was already a very quiet, shy little girl. And that just took away the voice that I had, being told that by grandparents and parents, you know, at family gatherings or whatever. Shh, be quiet. So the enemy used that, that little phrase to take away my voice. Now, I was a good kid because I didn't want to disappoint my parents, my teachers, my grandparents, my aunts. I didn't want to disappoint anybody. Sounds great, right? Okay, there's parts of it that might be great, but that caused me to become a perfectionist and ultimately to seek the approval of man and have the fear of man in me of what are they going to think if I do this? What are they going to think if I say that? Not a good thing. So skip forward to my teen years. Um, when I was 13, my best friend announced her name was Kim. I'm going to France on a mission trip all summer. I'm like, well, you're not leaving me behind. So I signed up too. We ended up on different teams, and that was okay. We were actually both okay with that. So beginning of June, we hopped on Teen Missions bus in Pendleton, Oregon. I was living, we were both living in Montana at that time, um, and took a five-day trip across country to Merritt Island, Florida, to, they had an intensive boot camp. Because if you've ever been on the mission trail field, you get a little training before you go. It's just a good idea. So we had a two-week intensive boot camp, all these teens. So the most important thing that I learned from teen missions 
was, okay, so we would get up in the morning, crack of dawn, and run this obstacle course. This wasn't a normal obstacle course like you would think for kids. You know, a few tires, jump over a little pole here. No. The first thing we hit on that actual course was a 12-foot wall. Yeah. And we had to figure out how to get our, there were 30 teams, 30 kids usually in a team and five leaders. We had to figure out how to get all those kids over that wall and then run the rest of the obstacle course. So what you did is lift up two to the top, and they'd sit up there, and they'd pull everybody else over one at a time, and then you'd go down the other side. Now, what's the purpose of that? Team unity. You had to learn to work together. One of the other things that we did was um, everybody had a number so that if we were in town in Paris, France, let's say, and the one of the team leaders said, count off, we'd count off as fast as we could so that we would know, that they would know that we were all there. So we would, on the obstacle course, we'd get on this bus, everybody sit down, count off, and we'd rattle through it. Another just team building thing that we did. Um, so that taught me a lot, of course, right there. But the most important thing that Teen Missions taught me was after that obstacle course and after breakfast, we would have every single day, seven days a week, half an hour of personal devotions. We were encouraged to read our Bible, to journal, practice our memory verses. We learned, oh, I think 30 memory verses that summer. Um, just pray, just, just be in the word and get to know the, our God. And so that instilled in me a lifelong, um, I don't want to say ritual, but you guys know what I mean, a passion to be in the word and to get to know God more. And so I'm forever grateful. I went on team missions twice the second time I went to Italy. I'm just for forever grateful for all the memory verses that I learned there um, and just hiding God's word in my heart and learning to pray and seek his face and yeah, all that really good stuff. So at that time, my, my uh, life verse, I got my life verse, which is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I have pulled that verse up probably weekly since then. Um, it has pushed me to do things that I would never try on my own. But with my Jesus by my side, my amazing Heavenly Father, come on, come on, come on, you can do it. I will try things. I, <laughs> he just stole that. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Love ziplining. <laughs> that was an extra. <laughs> so I got back that summer. I was in eighth grade, and I started taking French. Now, you'd think I'd take French before I went to France, right? They didn't offer it in seventh grade. You had to be in eighth grade. So my French teacher announced one day, well, it was, wasn't like a class announcement, but Anyway, I found out she was looking for someone to help her clean her home because she had a disability and she couldn't do it anymore. I think she had muscular dystrophy. Anyway, so I'm like, I can do that. So for 20 bucks, every Saturday, three hours, I would clean her house. And I did that all the way up until I went to college. The next year, um, I got another job, kept that one, got another weekend job taking care of a little boy that was had severe cerebral palsy. I was basically a mother's helper in the home. So I would do the cleaning, and then I'd actually walk around the corner. They were neighbors, um, even though it was a state job. It was just right there, very convenient. Um, walk around the, the corner and do this, take care of this little boy um, and his siblings and do dishes, whatever they wanted me to do, mother's helper kind of thing. And then so I graduated a semester early at the age of 17, because I had all my credits, and I was just ready to get out of the home. Oh, one thing I left out was Daddy was an alcoholic, so life at home was rough. Um, not some place that I liked to hang out a whole lot. Mama did the best she could with us. Um, to give you an example how life was, when I was in high school, I don't remember how long, but I remember taking my curling arm and setting it on the wood stove to get it hot because we didn't have the money for electricity because daddy drank too much. But I had an amazing heavenly father taking care of me still, so it didn't matter. So um, after I graduated that, that, at that uh, in January, um, I got another job. 
it's just amazing how God makes things fall in line. It was five days a week, middle of the week, Monday through Friday. Um, it was in a town about 15 minutes away. They would come pick me up because I wasn't driving yet, and I was practicing. Um, and I would, this lady was a nurse, and I would take care of her 82-year-old father while she was at work at night. So, yeah, I can do that. And then I would do my other two jobs on the weekends. So um, I would get him to bed 10, 1030 at night, and I'd go up to my bedroom for a couple of minutes, uh, maybe 20, 15, 20 minutes, read, Bible, book, whatever, just be quiet so he could sleep, right? And then I would quietly come down the stairs. And I would go in the exercise or go in the living room to exercise. Okay, nothing wrong with that, right? I couldn't do it upstairs because the floor creaked. It was an old house, so I'd come down the living room. Well, his bedroom door was right there. And I would hear him coming. And I would run around the corner by the front door and hide because I was afraid of him. And I would have and he'd open the door. Who's out there? And I wouldn't say a word. And pretty soon he'd go back to bed, and I'd come out, and I'd finish my exercises. I couldn't tell you how many times that happened, but that is the one time the fear of man is okay. Because <laughs> I was afraid of him, and it was okay. <laughs> or maybe it wasn't, I don't know. <laughs> so that fall, I went off to Bible college um, to become an, an elementary education teacher. I'd wanted to do that for, I don't even, couldn't even tell you when I got that desire in my heart. Um, my aunt was one, and God just put that in me, I guess, from the very young age. So there I was, Bible college, in very hot Minnesota at the end of August. And by this second semester, I think it was, I had taken enough classes to decide, that's not what I want to do. I wanted to do early childhood education. So I changed over to that. And those of you that know me well know that I teach four-year-olds here, which is such a joy for me. It is what God has created me for. Well, okay, one of the things God's created me for, um, just loving on children and teaching them about the love of God, the way that I was taught. The I want them to know what I knew as a small child. I don't want them to wait until they're adults or even teenagers. You can teach the smallest ones about Jesus and teach them to love and serve him. So between um, Sunday school and Bible camps in the summer and teen missions and Bible college, all of this, I was getting a really good foundation in the Lord, being in the word, praying, all of that stuff. But somehow the Holy Spirit was never taught the church, the denomination that I grew up in, they didn't move in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I still had the comforter, but I didn't know what that was. That would come much later. Um, but I had learned as a little girl to crawl up in the lap of Jesus, even though I didn't understand it all. He was always there for me when my brothers died, when Daddy was ballistic, whatever. I had learned to run and cry out to my, my Jesus. Um, I remember times crying into my pillow as a small child, just crying out to Jesus in my broken heart. Um, so Greg and I met my second year of college. I had been dating a, a guy from Ohio my whole first year introduced by my roommate. Things kind of fell apart over the summer, and then I had a different roommate introduce me to Greg. Um, he used to sing with her. They'd go around to churches and stuff on the weekends and sing. It was like a program from the college. And so she's like, you got to meet this guy. I'm like, oh, I'm already dating Carl, so why do I need to meet this guy? And so she kept pushing me, go meet this guy. So I finally did. And uh, he was in the, one of the practice rooms, practicing voice, guitar, whatever he was doing. And I just sat in there and listened to him. And I started maybe fall in love a little bit already. <laughs> so he would say that it was his curly hair, because he actually has very curly hair. And his voice, and there's probably some truth to that, because, you know, you have those desires as a 
girl growing up, probably as a boy growing up, of what you think you would like in a spouse, right? So God gave me the desires of my heart, even in those two little things. <laughs> so we met the second year, like I said, and um, this college, let me lay the foundation of this college. This college was three to one girls over guys. So at dinner time, Greg would go sit down. They had these big round tables, kind of like ours, except for they were even bigger. They would seat eight to ten people. He'd get his meal, go sit down, and there would be a table full of girls come sit with him. <laughs> Guess who was one of them? <laughs> Guess who won? <laughs> so we were engaged by Christmas. Yes, it was called St. Paul Bridal College for the by the students that went there. We never went back. Um, I was a few credits short of getting my early childhood education degree, but I did come out with my MRS degree. <laughs> yeah. So we've been youth leaders in every church that we've been in. Before we were married, we were young life leaders, which is actually Farah. Um, they've changed the name of it now. Farah that used to come here is in charge of that now. Um, anyway, so God just used us in, like, everywhere, Alaska, Hawaii, wherever we were at, we were with the youth. Um, so our first, first eight years of marriage was tough. I would like to paint the picture that it was amazingly awesome, but it wasn't. But I still had my Jesus. I still had my incredibly amazing father to cry out to. So Greg was emotionally abusive to me because he, he was like this extreme in the way he grew up, and I was this extreme. But God put us together because God saw the big picture that we didn't see. So... He would emotionally abuse me because he wanted things a certain way and whatever. But I knew enough, even as a young bride, I was 20 years old when we got married, but I knew enough already to release him to the Lord, just to pray and get out of the way. And there was more than one time that I said, get him, God, because I can't do anything. And I, would I, I honestly, would. that's what I would do because I didn't know what else to do. So we had two kids by then. Um, Stephen's sitting back there. Shreya's right here. These are our two biological kids. Um, and we lived between Alaska and Montana. Greg was still a commercial fisherman at that time. So we would spend summers in Alaska fishing. Montana, where my family was from, we'd spend winters. And that ended when Shreya was five months old. We decided to... We were in Kodiak, on Kodiak Island, where Greg grew up. Um, and we decided, well, we're going to go to Anchorage for a short time, and then we were going to go on to Moody Bible Institute and eventually out to world missions or whatever God had for us. Um, well, God had different plans, and he planted us in a church in Anchorage for 11 years. There we were, of course, youth leaders. As I said, every church that we were in, we were God had us in the youth. Um, it was a rather large youth meeting, or, or youth group. Um, so, like I said, it was tough. Greg was dealing with his stuff. He was dealing with feeling powerless in the kingdom. He wanted to be a good father. He wanted to be a good husband. But he just felt like, where's the power that you talk about in your word? And so there was these meetings that came to town. Um, Rodney Howard Brown, how many have heard of him? A few of you. Um, and so Greg started going. I stayed home with the kids. He went an evening in an, to an evening service. He came home that night. Okay, so let me let me paint this a little. He was getting depressed. We hadn't talked more than small talk in probably at least a week. I mean, things were starting to fall apart. He was done with the facade of, you know, we're this happy Christian family. He was over it. And so he went depressed to that meeting. And when he came back that night at 11 o'clock, 
came in the door. I was in the back room, and I looked like this around the corner, and I did a double take because the man that just walked through that door was not the man that had left earlier. God was starting to do something in him. And I'm like, well, I want to go. I ain't going to miss out on this. So the next morning, they had morning and, and evening services. The next morning we went. They had released our um, youth group from our church had a high school all, all the way up through high school. They had released the high schoolers to go to these meetings that morning. So we were there with all of our kids, and God was working on Greg. And the time came that, that God, that they, they uh, did an altar call for rededicating your life. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm not stealing too much of his testimony, but it's our testimony, right? Because we are one. So he was struggling. I got all these kids. My kids are here, you know. What is this going to look like? It was that fear of man. That's what that was. Well, he ended up being obedient and went forward. And God started doing such a work in him. And as time went on, God was God just downloaded into him at those meetings and gave him strategies to win me back. He had stolen almost all of my joy. Um, I didn't trust him. I had no reason to trust him. Now, he never did anything, you know, he never cheated on me or anything like that. Um, but I just didn't trust him because of the battles that he was having. But God started doing a work in him, and things started getting better. And I don't remember the time frame of there was a time when I trusted him again. And I knew that God had, had gotten greatly a hold of him and that he was a different man. And that freed up things in me. Do you know, fathers, that the things that are in your life, the things that you have not released to the Lord, don't affect just you. They affect just actually not just men. They affect your family. They affect those around you. It's so important to take care of those things. So our amazing father had brought two broken people together, and he made beauty out of our ashes. Because that's what he does if you let him. If you let him come in and pick up the pieces of your life and heal both of you, he will set you free all of the hurts and the pains that life has thrown at you. So when people ask us how many kids we have, they may get a variety of answers. So like I said earlier, we have two biological kids, and then we, we did foster care up in Anchorage, and we had adopted a child out of that. He was six months when he came to us. Um, and we adopted him right before we moved to Hawaii when he was three. So two biological, and then we also did foster care here for a time, and we have another daughter. Some of you might remember her. She came here when she was a teen when we first started coming here. Her name's Michaela. Now, Michaela is not officially adopted with the paperwork from the state kind of thing, but she's hard adopted. She's part of our family. She came to us when she was nine, and she's just always been part of our family. And 18 months ago, she gave us our third grandchild, Amelia, and, but she's not walking with the Lord. So if you think of us and you think of our children, please pray, pray for Michaela because she grew up rough. But she needs Jesus. We all need Jesus. And I know someday God's going to get a hold of her. So in October of 2000, we were in Anchorage. Let me back up. Not October yet. Um, when we lived in Anchorage, Greg, owned a, we owned a business, thriving business. I homeschooled the kids. So we were able to go on these long extended vacations wherever we wanted in the winter. So we decided we were going to go to Hawaii. And so God just worked it out that we had a free house to live in. And we were there for seven weeks. Well, during that seven weeks, we decided that we wanted to move there and help the sister church that was there. It was a small church that had been planted there. And so we went home, and now this is a, the year of Y2K, but we didn't care. If, you know, the world was going to end or whatever was going to happen. It didn't matter because we love Jesus. 
So we went home, sold the business, got a rented for our house, and by October, oh, Greg got a job with FedEx, which is, oh my goodness, a whole other story. So FedEx moved us on all of our stuff to Hawaii for free because he worked for them, which is just, I wish I had time to tell you that story because it is a miracle of how that happened. Anyway, so October 2000, we moved to Hawaii. We were there for four years. Um, I taught at the preschool that our church had, because that's what I do. And he was hired around the island. We lived on Oahu. He was hired to sing around the island. Um, he did a concert for a radio station. It was for a radio station, right? Once um, on the beach. <laughs> Just different venues, he was hired around the island to sing. So that was his job for most of the time. He did end up starting a business at the end. But anyway, so um, life in Hawaii was great until two years in, the building that we had for our church and our preschool lost its lease. So everything shut down. And God moved us to a Grace Brethren church. Greg was a mentor. He was going to mentor the worship team into more contemporary worship. It was a very dry season for me because it's like it was just different. <laughs> I'll just say it was different. But I was very grateful that I had at least the worship there still because of what Greg was doing. So four years in Hawaii, and then in 2005, um, January 2005, we left Hawaii. We had a dog, two cats, three kids. And Greg's dad met us in L.A. with a, with a small motorhome. Through all of them in, he had two dogs with him. Mom had flown down from Alaska. And across country, we went with our menagerie of everything, <laughs> people and dogs and stuff. And we went to Mississippi and Louisiana to fi fi ugh, excuse me, um, visit Greg's family. And while we were down there, we bought a expedition and after a time we're like well we need to go back we had we'd come here picked out a house and we were just waiting for it to close so we'd gone there now we're coming back so we threw our three kids and our dog oh wait there's more Sharia <laughs> we had given um, Stephen and Sharia money $500 I think it was to spend on whatever they wanted because we had sold our house, our townhouse in Hawaii for a good price, so we were just going to bless our children. Okay, so this girl likes animals a lot. Almost every animal we have, it's because of her, <laughs> even now. <laughs> so, not true. She says not true. <laughs> um, so, down there, she bought two lab puppies. Because we didn't have enough kids and animals already to go across country in an expedition, right? Let's add two more dogs. So our three dogs, three children, and two cats, and Greg and I, in the expedition, came back over here, checked on the house, still not ready. Back in the car we go to my parents in Montana, and we were there for three weeks. So we actually settled in Grants Pass in mid-March, or yeah, March of 2005. And six weeks later, something happened that I didn't think would ever happen. My little brother suddenly passed away. Yeah. I never thought that God would take my third brother. I didn't think that he would do that to my parents. Well, they were already a mess. I just didn't think he would do that. But he did. Well, God didn't take him. But God sees the big picture that we don't see, right? So there was foul play um, suspected but never, never confirmed. There was no way to confirm it. And so here I was again, losing someone close to me, my last brother. So... Before that happened, when we were in Montana, we were all gathered at Grandma and Grandpa's house. John had come from Libby with his family, and we were just hanging out as a family. And then it was time for him to drive back, because it was an hour and a half back to Libby. 
And I remember following him out on the grandma's sidewalk, and they're leaving, and I wanted to give my brother a hug and say I love you. But he was only 14 when I got married, and we really didn't have a relationship anymore because I was off to Alaska and Hawaii and wherever the Lord took us. And when I did come over visits, he was doing his teenage stuff. He was living his own life. So uh, we really didn't have a relationship. And so I said in my head, you're on the mainland now. There will be plenty of time for that later. Of course, I didn't know what was coming in six weeks. So what I learned from that is the importance of telling those we love how much you love them. Don't keep it inside. Don't hold back because we don't know if we have tomorrow. Only God knows that. So after the funeral, we were um, sitting in the worship service. We were at River Valley at that time, and there was a song that came on. I can't even tell you the words of it anymore, but it was, I love how God uses music to minister to people. It just amazes me how many times the right song will come on to go, wow. Thank you, Jesus, I needed that. So this song was played, and I just knew that God was telling me that it was okay. It was going to be okay. And I knew that I had to trust him, that he knew what was best for John, even if it was taking him off of this earth. He saw the big picture of what might happen if John was still here. And so I just, it was another time where I just learned I had to trust my amazing father because he had cared for me all my life up until then. So I've always been in the background as Greg's intercessor while he did his music, whatever. Um, so I was Greg's wife, the kid's mom, in the background. Didn't really have my own ID, I guess you would say, yeah. Um, but God had other plans. Um, I started to get prophecies of what God wanted to do, wanted me to do. And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Do you know me? Do you know who I am? He's like, yeah. Yeah. But he started to plant this seed in me of what he wanted me to do. And that's why I'm up here today. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I told him, you got a lot of change, and he said, I plan on it. And so he has been changing me. Yeah. So uh, three or four years ago, I think it's been now, we were at a worship retreat up at the old Cascade Boys Ranch. Um, and Lewis had brought in Marlene and Gary from Bethel. And I think it was Saturday sometime. We were doing our little meeting thing, and... Um, praying for different things and for people. And it came out that that saying of children are to be heard and not seen. I mean, did I say that right? Seen and not heard. Um, and Marlene is like, God wants to give you back your voice. Yeah. So they prayed for me. And ever since then, I've been learning to get out of the way because before then if I prayed out loud it was all rehearsed in my head first because I had that fear of man thing going on in me what are they going to think what are they going to say am I going to say the right is it going to be a good enough prayer and if I was having a conversation with you same thing you're talking and I'm listening because I'm a good listener but I was also rehearsing my answer back to you or what I was going to say back to you and God wanted to break that off of me and so he started breaking, me, breaking it off of me that weekend and working with me. And I started learning to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit have his way and speak through these lips because it's a lot better that way. So um, I always thought my testimony was boring until we were at um, Stephen Midshaw's, the founder of this, hou of this house. And I shared my testimony and it came out that I thought it was boring and not important because I was a good kid. I didn't do the drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, you know, all that finding myself. So I was just a good kid. And so I thought that was boring. And Steve looked at me and he said, you, 
did it the right way. That is your testimony that it can be done the right way. And so that, again, changed something in me. And I wanted to start sharing my testimony because no matter what your testimony is, it has value. God will use it if you let him to touch other people's lives because that's why he gives us. That's why he lets us go through trials and stuff so that we can be there to comfort each other because I can come up and say, I've been there, and this is what God did with me. This is how God helped me through it. So First um, Thessalonians 1, 5 through 8, when Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, he recognized that they were wholeheartedly following the ways of Christ despite severe suffering. They became examples to all believers of how true Christians should live. It should be the goal of every true believer to live wholeheartedly, sold out for Christ. Your name should be smoke, spoken among the churches of your deep faith and conviction and how amazingly you have followed Christ's example. That's what I want. That's what I want. And I hope that's what you want for your life. In Deuteronomy 1, I just got this yesterday. That's so good. Moses is speaking to the Israel, all of Israel about the rebellion against God's command, Lord's command. Um, verse 29, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. He's talking about the Amorites. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you reach this place. So all my life I was carried by my father. All my life he was there for me. My incredibly amazing father. So what have I learned during my journey? Mostly that I can handle anything as long as I bring my Jesus into it. But I've learned to trust my Heavenly Father. And I know that you can trust him too. Jesus wants you to bring him into your pain, your unknowing, your everything. So two weeks ago, during worship, I was over here. The Lord gave me a picture. And what I saw when I closed my eyes was a huge eye. This was a loving, compassionate eye. That was it. And I'm like, okay, I'll just hold on to that. And then last week, he gave me the rest of that. Um, so that eye was the eye of God, I believe. And he wants to say, I see you. I see you in your pain. I see you in your victory. I see you wherever you are. I see you and I love you. And so the next thing that he saw showed me was a huge red heart, the heart of God, bigger than you can imagine. And he cares for us and he loves us and he's there for us. But sometimes we have to let him in. Sometimes we have to stop going, not now, Lord. Sometimes we have to say, Yes, Lord, whatever you want. And so the next thing that I saw was a giant ear, the ear of God. He's listening. Even when your prayers are not answered, he's listening. But in his love and wisdom, sometimes he has to say no. And that's just him caring for you too. And this is my favorite part. The last thing that I saw was this giant hand coming and scooping up this broken, tattered, dying person and bringing it to God's heart where he could begin to set them free from all the pains of life. That's what God wants for each and every one of you in this room. He wants his Father's heart to be poured out on you. He wants to pour out his love his compassion. He wants you to know he hears you. He wants to bring you right into his little, his big daddy heart. 
but he's got room for all of us. He wants to begin to heal you wherever you are. So, Tony, can you start that song? While this song is playing, I'd like you to close your eyes. And I would like you to ask Jesus, Father God, is there something that you want to heal in me today? Is there some area I haven't released to you today? I'm willing to do that now, Jesus. So just begin to search your heart. And if you'd like to come up for prayer, we can have the elders and the ministry teams come up if we need. Just let the Father, let the salve of the Father just pour over you. Bring him into those places that held on to that the deepest hurts that's what he wants to to heal if my life were senseless if I have a testimony if I have anything No one ever cared for me like Jesus. His faithful hand has held me all this way. And when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known in you alone my joy was found. My children tell their children Let this be their memory That all my treasure was in heaven And you were everything to me His faithful hand has held me all this way. And when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known in you alone my joy was found. I found my joy. what the devil meant for evil God meant for good in your life what he thought he stole has become your testimony fathers I just want to bless you I encourage you to bless your families live for your family sacrifice for your family love your family and speak life as our amazing heavenly father does for us his faithful hand has held me all this way. And when I'm old and gray, and Thank you, Jesus. all my days are numbered on the earth. 
Wow, what a powerful word. There are many who've been jaded by their experience growing up with their earthly father. I'm pretty confident there's quite a few here in the room. And if you hear Teresa's heart, what she's saying is God wants to change all of that. So I just want to take a step here and say, if that's you, if you have looked through a jaded lens of your father, he may have said and spoke things in your life that were, oh, absolutely crushed you. If that's you, I'd like you to stand. Just be brave and bold and stand. And we want to pray that you would be able to release grace over that experience, over your past. That's the key, guys. That's the e-ticket. God graced us, didn't he? That doesn't mean they become your best friend necessarily, and they may be long gone, but you've got to let it go. And if you heard her words, it was about letting go and letting Jesus, getting a whole new perspective. God is good, and he's good all the time. We leave the devil out of the equation. God, good, devil, bad. The devil seeks to destroy and to kill and devour. God is always there to take what was intended for evil and to make it good. Amen? So let's all stand. Father, I just ask that you would release your amazing grace on us to such a degree, God, that we would be able to understand and comprehend that grace, God. And in turn, turn around and release those that we've held captive because of our history and be able to just release your amazing grace on them. Thank you, God. Amen. Father, I just pray that you would fill this house with just people that are so free and they're willing to walk in that freedom and to share that freedom with others in such a way, God, that their lives would be dramatically, drastically changed in a powerful and positive, amazing way. Thank you, God. Father, I thank you for all the fathers in this room and that we're not all perfect. We fumbled and bumbled our way through this. But, Father, as we honor you, you honor us. And we're confident that as we follow you, you're changing us more into your image. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we'll say this in closing. If you do not know Jesus, if you have not experienced the Father's heart or love towards you, I'd love for you to come forward because we'd love to pray for you. Amen? We just want to throw that out there. So. Having said that, you have a glorious and wonderful day. Amen? Let's, let's, uh, let's just give a big hand to this sister.